Nothing can ruin your tabletop immersion and kill the fun faster than an unruly player. We've all been at the table where that one player just isn't interested in teamwork or can't be bothered to stay off their phone. We'll take a look at seven different types of unruly players and give our advice on how to handle the situations on this episode of The Crypt of Knowledge. Welcome back to another episode of Crypt of Knowledge. I am your host, Goose, and I have with me, as always, Blake. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. How are you, Goose? I am fantastic. Couldn't be better. We got through all the, the hard parts last week with the UA, <laughs> and now we are moving on. Moving on from that. Yeah, we'll be talking about something that is much more upbeat, right? Ooh. Unruly players. That'll be upbeat. Yeah. Yeah. Let's tell some horror <laughs> stories. There's plenty that I've had at my table over the years, but the biggest ones really have been people that just didn't fit the table. You know, it, it wasn't something that we got 20 sessions in and then problems started happening. Usually they, they all happened pretty early on and it just wasn't, there weren't as many safety features built into games back in the day. You know, you, you weren't trying to weed out people that didn't fit at your table. You just expected everyone to follow your rules. So a little different now. It is a little different now. And table synergy is a huge part of what makes a really good group and, you know, what leads to good sessions and a and fun campaign. So if you've got people with different expectations than other people in your in your party or what have you, then it can it can lead to some some abrasive situations. It can. And as we go through all of these different scenarios, the different types of really players and how you can handle them, first and foremost, learn to communicate with your players. Yeah. And learn to teach the, the players how to communicate amongst themselves as well. That will solve 90% of everything that comes up at your table. It just will if you can communicate effectively with your players and set expectations. Yeah, that's a really big part of it. And before... You were really only playing with your friends before the, yeah. the, you know, the advent of the internet and what the pandemic did for tabletop gaming, but also to its own detriment. Now you have a lot of strangers playing together. So this stuff is a lot more prevalent because before you were friends with everybody you were playing with because you knew them in real life or in most cases, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't something you went to a game shop to play even back in the day. It was something that you played in your basement because there was such mm -hmm. a stigma to it. You know, it wasn't something you bragged about playing this game. So, yeah, it's come a long way. And not only has the pandemic changed it, but the landscape of DMing has changed to where there now are professional DMs who get paid to run yeah, 30, 40 games a week, some of them. That's true. That's what they do all day long. So... In those instances, you're always playing with strangers and always having to figure out how groups fit together because in those instances, your players don't even know each other. No, right, exactly. A lot of times you could have sat down with a group of, of people that knew each other or one or two of them knew each other, but most of the time now, yeah, you're, you're coming together with a group of all strangers and trying to make it work. So yeah, communication, no matter what else we say, if you can remember just to communicate, it will solve a lot of issues. 
definitely. Because now even we most everybody knows each other. I know mm-hmm. at least three of three of our four, no, three of our five. Yeah, it's grown. <laughs> yeah, it has grown. <laughs> three of our five. I mean, we've known each other our entire lives, and and of course you picked up one of our fantastic players on Reddit, yeah. and then the other is a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And even when I joined, it was still a couple friends of yours, and then me. I was sort of the outlier there, but. Mm-hmm. We got really lucky with our group synergy. We all get along really well. We communicate very, very seldom, really. There is some communication that goes on player to player behind the scenes, but it's really very sparse and it's always character related. And you guys don't talk a lot because I think you want it to be spur of the moment. I think you want to be in that RP and have a decision made on the fly. <laughs> some of us thrive in that that chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. And, and we were able to pick a, a group of people that I had played with before to start as a base. I had played with, with all of them. And from there, as we added people like you, and as we added Ed and, and everyone else that's added now, I knew the type of table we were running, and I knew the type of players at the table, and I I knew that I wanted to add more people like that. Sure. So I think we, we had a mindset of who we wanted to add, and everyone that's there kind of fit. You know, it wasn't us picking up strangers that we had no idea how they played. Like right. Ed had to go through an entire long questionnaire and tell me about how he played and all those stuff to make sure it fit. And it was important. It was very important I that think we so. were able to do that. Yeah. Because the, the chemistry that we have as a, as a table and as a group is, is fantastic. And I wish that for everybody. Yes. It makes the game so much more enjoyable. It, you know, I had a group prior to that that there were a lot of expectations that weren't met. We had a session zero. We went through letting them play their characters and figuring out if the class is what they wanted and figuring out how combat worked because all of them were new. None of them had played D&D before. So letting them figure that out was important. And we set a bit of ground rules. The intention was we were actually going to stream it. And so everybody knew this is the day we're going to play. These are the hours. This is how we're going to work it out. But it very quickly fell apart because of people that weren't committed to those rules. So, you know, it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't a long-term goal they could commit to. So it fell apart after about seven sessions. Those things happen. It surely does. And again, I took some friendships out of that. I took some great ideas for how to change how I put games together and put teams together. So it, it was, I was able to grow from it, but there are many, again, many horror stories I could tell you from <laughs> my past 20, 25 years in this game. There's a lot of things that I have learned and grown from. Yeah, more often than not, I think people have somewhat problematic experiences, especially with people who are just getting into the hobby and who, you know, maybe are the only person in their friend group that even knows about it. I see that all the time, people posting like, hey, I want to get into Dungeons and Dragons, never played, mm-hmm. and none of my friends do. So how you know, how do I get into this hobby? And that's a huge hurdle for people right now. It's not as bad as it used to be. No. Again, there are DMs you can pay if you're that desperate. Sure. There's all kinds you can do. But I strongly suggest you do not try to go join an Adventurers League for your first experience. They will ruin you. <laughs> I hate Adventurers You'll League. be turned off to the idea. It's pretty likely. Yeah. I have never found a DM running Adventures League that was, I don't know how to politely put it, that they weren't a douche. 
there's no other way to put it. They are most people that run a ventures league, and you may have had a different experience. And I am proud and happy for you if that's <laughs> the case. But the ones that I've seen locally were all controlling, and everything was their way, and it didn't matter your red flags or anything. You were playing their game, and you played it. I think a lot of, and I think adventures league leads it leads to a lot of that because if you're a good DM, then there are no shortage of people that want to play at your table because there's a DM shortage in this hobby. Mm-hmm. But bad DMs who can't get players will go to the place to play D and D, where they know DMs are already in a, a, a you know at a shortage, and that's Adventure League. Yeah, anybody, any you know walk in and say, "Yeah, I'm a dungeon master." They're like, "Great, here's a table." <laughs> yes, please come play yeah. so we can draw people into our store. Yeah, on these nights you'll have maybe this many people here, and then that's how they play. So they've and they it, you know and some of it may very well not be their fault because of course those are <laughs> the trouble players are going to be there too because they can't find anybody to play with yeah th- that's that's true it, and there's so many restrictions already in the adventure league rules they they limit a lot of things you can play and how you can play them so it's a much more restrictive style of D&D than if you're playing a home game, usually. Most DMs that are running home games are pretty pretty lax about what they're allowing combinations and things of classes and all that to do. So it definitely is a restrictive way to play. I definitely do not start there if you're trying to learn the game. Anybody who's familiar with like Friday Night Magic and stuff like that, it's that oh, crowd. It is, isn't it? And I don't want to... <laughs> I don't do Friday Night Magic for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm not playing yeah. D&D with those people either. And it's weird to me, too. That, again, everyone can play this game the way they want to. Sure. But it's weird to me to look out and see, because we're Nashville-based, and there are two shows now, uh, one's on YouTube, one's actually on Twitch, that focus strictly on PvP. One is like a game show that I just watched pretty recently where they literally they take contestants and you come on and it's pvp that's the matchup that's neat yeah it's just pvp and then the other the competitive i don't don't know just the competitive part of D &D is weird it's it's okay for like one-offs i've done one-offs where you know you build a level 20 character and you get in an arena and everybody fights it out that's okay yeah but to only want to play that way seems weird it is yeah, it's a war simulator, but the point is you're a team. Yeah. So to work against those things, it, it's 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 an odd ideal to hold. But people, I mean, there are people out there, and that's how they like to play. Yeah, it's it's like Warhammer 40k D and D. Yes, and you know what? That <laughs> all of those people congregate the same places. That's true. That's true. I I can see how it bleeds over some, and actually, it, it, it's bringing, as I always do, different ideas in my head as we're sitting here talking these through, having you guys have a PvP match where you take four characters of your own and form a team, like, uh, you know, swap them in and out, you know, they get close to health, tag them out and (laughs) have a battle. I Hmm. mean, you get to play more characters that way and you get to just have straight combat. That sounds pretty fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. Put a pin in that. Yeah. That's really come up, good. Come up with one of these almost every episode, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> <laughs> so that and everything we've talked about basically takes care of the first archetype of Unruly Player, the ones that had a different game type expectation. So communicate with them up front with your session zero because some may be looking for that PvP and some may be looking for more of an intrigue or a political and, and 
you're just running to one run a dungeon crawl. So making sure you set expectations for everything at a session zero is important. If you haven't listened to our session zero podcast from season one, go back and check that out. We'll drop a link in the show notes for you to understand how important session zeros are. It's the most important thing you can do, especially when you have players that you don't know in your party. That's pretty pretty much the best way to temper these sort of things right out the gate. And that's going to be a common theme here is session zero. Mm-hmm. You know, if if everybody goes into it knowing what to expect or knowing that maybe what they are expecting isn't what everyone else is into, you can mitigate a lot of this right out the gate. A hundred percent. And use something like I mentioned when Ed joined us from Reddit, I used a questionnaire. It had about 20 questions on it and they filled them out. It ranged anywhere from tell me about the favorite character you've ever played, you know, if you've played before and gave them scenarios. You know, if this situation popped up, how would you handle it? And those various questions that are important to you and your group, throw it out there on a questionnaire before you add people in. Yeah, you should, especially if you're playing with strangers online. Yeah, I am. I'm looking into the being paid to be a DM myself <laughs> and then looking through the sites and everything that I was using it as a lot of them, the DMS, when they put their games up, will leave a questionnaire in there because they want to know what you expect out of a game to see if it's fitting what they're going to run. You know, if you get four or five people in those seats that want to run the same type of thing, then you're good. If not, you may tell somebody, Hey, look, I don't want to charge you 20, 30 bucks every time you play for a game. That's not going to fit what the other players are looking for. You're the odd man out. Maybe look for a different game before you get roped into this one. So, again, questionnaires are, are pretty important and, and pretty commonplace now, too. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. They, they should be more commonplace. Agreed. The next one up, since we're going with it and we've kind of discussed it, is the PvP player. Not that your whole table wants to be PvP, but just this one player really yeah. wants to PvP everything. <laughs> that's where the trouble comes in. They're always threatening to attack or steal from you know the members of their own party and that just gets really old really fast it does and even it can extend past the party even to npcs every time you go in i'm gonna sneak behind the guard and steal from their pockets but but why yeah is the shopkeeper looking oh (laughs) my god you know where it's going yeah and again we've talked about this pretty much every one of these we talk about first option should be having a conversation with the player to find out why the disruption is happening. Is it they don't like the storyline? Is it that they are just bored with the way their character plays? And so they're like, I'm just going to go out. Or Do they want to see how powerful they are versus the other group? Is it something where they just feel like they have to be the most powerful? Find out why. What's going on in their head? I've, I heard a story recently that was, it's pretty rough if you're, you know, a like-minded person. They had a character, someone who wasn't familiar with D&D 5e. They were, I think, from Pathfinder or, or some other more obscure rule set is what they had been playing. So their character was sort of this morally gray wizard or sorcerer type and not evil, but not good either. Okay. Well, the DM goes on to, after hearing about the, the, the explanation for this character, goes, no, 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 that's an evil character. <laughs> and you're going to be evil. I don't really care what you have to say. Wow. And so sort of labels the character evil, even though the character, the, the player protests, is like, that. this is not an evil character. I'm not a, a classic evil in any sense. I'm just morally gray. Yeah. So they're like, okay, okay. They go on and on. And then at some point, this, this person gets up. The player gets up and goes to the restroom. And while they're gone, the paladin does some sort of a detect good and evil. 
and the, the DM lets this continue and is like, yeah, you actually do sense evil off of this oh, player. No. And then so later on during that session, they're traveling somewhere down the road and the paladin goes, I have to attack your character because it's what my character would do. Oh, I hate that excuse. That is, that's the biggest I'm about to be <laughs> very disruptive to your good time here. That's yes. exactly what that is saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the the paladin went on to attack the sorcerer. The, the DM let it happen. And he, of course, the, the paladin stomped this low-level sorcerer. Sure. And that was sort of it. He's like, okay, well, your character's dead. And then they ended up retconning the entire thing because it was clearly not what these some of these people were into. Yeah. They retconned it to just say the paladin died. And that was the paladin's excuse for being disruptive. Or like that was his punishment. It was like, okay, none of that happened. You're dead now. <laughs> wow. The DM should never have let that happen from no, the get-go. No, yeah, that's a poor managing of the game there. But it, it still shows what some players can think. And they get too deep into this. This has to happen because my character would do this stuff. Yeah, this is what my character would do. You're evil, so I have to kill you. Yeah, it's it's just an excuse to be a horrible player and don't <laughs> do it. But, I mean, I get... So allowing the players to exact repercussions for the other players' transgressions, the one that's doing the PvP and stuff, mm-hmm. I get that. Allow the characters to say, no, our party does not do that, and punish him. So either kick him out of the camp for a night or take his weapons away from him for a night or whatever it is, which may bring some altercation between the group. Sure. They have to know that they can't get away with those things. Instead of picking on one person, if the entire group forms around them, then their character's not going to get away with anything. And that's one way to handle it. Not always the best, but if the rest of the group wants to handle it that way, I've seen it done that way. The best thing for me is to just get the legal system, in your words, air quotes here, legal system in your world involved. They're doing some shady crap, then the really good guys are going to come and get them. Throw them in jail, find them, take away all their gold, whatever it is that you want to do to them, make some repercussions happen so that they get it and understand, I can't continue to play this way. Yeah, killing people's characters and stuff like that, Those we don't like to punish people. We, don't, we no. especially don't like, yeah, like punishment is not the right word for a lot of this. Yeah. But they there have to be consequences for people who act this way and- Enacting it in game is not always the best way. It does, it can work, especially if the mob justice thing. Yeah, if the whole group is on the same page except for this one player, and you're willing to have story beats happen where they're like on the outs, like you said, like kick them out of camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that that that's pretty good, but it shouldn't go much further than that. No, and it, and it takes a mature group. They may be playing horrible, but if they're not a mature person, they're gonna get mad because mm-hmm. the group ganged up on them so you have to also know the person enough to know that okay listen we're going to handle this in game so this is all rp you have to understand this in game they have to be able to separate player and character to be able to do that but you're right we don't like to kill others but sending a subtle again air quotes a subtle message to the player by focusing fire on them during combat you know see if the other players help them out when they go down If all of a sudden every encounter you get into, every monster just goes right after you and the team is like, "Um, okay, we're going to stand back and see what happens. Then you might understand you're not being liked very well right now. You should change the way you're playing. Yeah. If the way you're playing is bugging the cleric and all of a sudden you're going down every every combat, I mean, it 
you know, and that's counting on people to have the self-awareness to look at themselves and go, maybe what I'm doing isn't cool. Right. That isn't probably going to happen a lot. No, no. Again, all goes back to the best is communication, but <laughs> yes. there are subtle ways to do it still. There are things that you can do in the interim before it gets to that point. And if it, I mean, you'll be able to tell if any of that's worth it generally. Yeah, generally these things that we're talking about, you use you know, the first time that you can see it might be annoying somebody. You try to turn it back and, and say, okay, in the game, we'll punish you. Then if that's not working, then it's out of the game. We have to punish you. You know, Is this the right group for you? We can't do this anymore. You know, If you continue to act this way, then we'll just have to kick you out of the group. It happens. There are horrible conversations to have when you have to kick somebody out of a group. Because I want more people to play this game, not less. Of course. But you, know, you, you have to find the right table, and not every table will fit you. Yeah, it's it's tough now, you know, and for people who have good groups, it seems so easy. Yeah. But some people out there have it really hard trying to find a nice cohesive group to play with, and usually they aren't the aggressor in a lot of these situations. Yeah, we've been very blessed for many, many years now to have a really solid core. Even though some have come and gone, we've always been able to fill in somebody that really fit to what we were looking for. So very blessed with that. But you're right, a lot of times... It's not the person that shows up to a table's fault. It, they come in and they are expecting a safe environment for whatever reason. And then either a subject matter that they don't like or something else is happening at that table that forces them to leave the table. It's unfortunate. But again, this if you're vetting the people coming in right, it, it won't happen nearly as often. Yeah, some people will fool you, you know, mm-hmm. with those. Some people can, can act like they're going to play nice and then don't. But... It's it's worth it to have those things in place. That way you have some sort of an idea, some sort of an early warning system. Absolutely. You owe it to yourself, really. And everyone at the table, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. The next type of disruptive player is the metagamer. And we have all done it, so yeah. we can't fault anyone. <laughs> We've all done no. it. It is extremely hard to keep out-of-game information from leaking into the game. But it can interrupt the game flow. It can annoy other players that are really immersed in that gameplay and that in that part of being a character. So it's something that you really can't allow to happen in a game. And again, it's hard, you know, especially for someone that's been a DM before and they know everything that's happening in either a, a module or from the monster manual. You just know those things. And you have to turn that switch off and just forget that you know these things and just enjoy what's happening in front of you. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's a really tough thing to do. I've done it. You know, we had some, we had a party member bitten by a were creature. Yeah. And immediately was like, oh, hold on. I've got a restoration spell. And it's yeah. like, well, ha- hold on. Let's pump the brakes here. Yes. Do we under, does, there's a lot of questions you got to start asking. Does my character understand what the, the implications of this happening means? Do I know how to fix it right offhand? Because sure, the player does. You know that this person is now infected. Yep. But does your does your character, and that's tough. And you guys are really good at it. I think a lot of times you you guys will catch yourself as you're doing it. You'll be like, oh, oh wait, does my character know this? Do I need to roll for this <laughs> to see if my character knows this? So those those things happen quite often because we have a rules lawyer that knows everything in the book. Yeah. And so he knows a lot of things, but he's he's really good about keeping it outside. You've played for a long time, so it it's those yeah those things were like oh. Oh wait, I have to keep it separate. I'm a player, not the character. So yeah, and tra- and and asking for a role is is a, is the right thing to do. Is sure catching yourself and going, oh wait, 
hold on. Do I, would I be aware of this? And then make a roll out of it. That's a, that's always a good thing to do. Yeah. And the DM may look at it and go, you know what? It's common lore in this world. Yeah. Sure. You don't have to roll for it. So maybe nothing. It's a, yeah. Usually a case by case basis that will help clear that up. But some people can very seriously metagame oh, yeah. and it, and, and it can be detrimental to, to the flow of a game, to the immersion. It can really take some people out of it. Absolutely. But as a DM, there are things you can do as well. Especially if you like homebrew, there's small things you can change from the wizard's lore or the monsters straight out of the manual. You can throw off the metagamers by just changing a few things. So your monster might have a different resistance or its attack might do something just a little bit different. Or like you say, bitten by the werebear. Well, you know what? Werebears don't turn people that way. You know, you have to take a venom from or a shot something that they intentionally try to turn you. Not every bite. So... There are things oh, that people can change. I just picked up on something. <laughs> Have I said too much? <laughs> <laughs> you said just enough. I'll, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, hang on to that. Yeah, not, not every piece of lore has to be straight out of a book. Use a little creativity as a DM, and it will throw those people off, especially if you have DMs playing characters in your game. You know, throw them off a little bit. Yeah, it'll be tough for them it, it shouldn't be necessarily, but you can't blame them. If you're hanging on no. to all of this knowledge, you're going to want to use it. But Yeah, the, when we played in person a few weeks back, it, for me, I there were things that Andrew said as he DM'd, and I'm sitting there going, I know what he's saying. I, I understand <laughs> what this cult is that we're fighting. I know who they are, and I know what they're trying to do. But mm-hmm. I have to completely shut it off because I know the other four of you guys probably had no idea what's happening. Yeah. So I, I like shut it off and play like I'm an idiot and be my little gnome <laughs> and <laughs> just keep going. So it, you consciously have to think about it when you when to not metagame on a lot of things. And there's an inverse to this as well because I've heard I've heard of stories where someone is playing a barbarian and they're very low intellect. Oh yeah. But the barbarian, the player is solving these riddles. Or they're coming up with these really good, intricate plans. And the DM will punish, will deal psychic damage yeah. to this barbarian every time they come up with a good idea. That's not the right way to handle that. No, it's not. I mean, for one, there's a whole other thing on puzzles if you want to listen to that about how you can make them <laughs> effective. But yeah, if you've set up a puzzle and you're just challenging your players, not a character, then whoever figures it out, figures it out. You can't punish them for that. So you gotta got to think about that beforehand. Yeah, that's a little cold-blooded. Yeah. <laughs> the next archetype is the I punch everything or the murder hobo. You know, and sometimes you wind up with the whole groups that way. And if that's the way I want to play, then you might be stuck. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've got one that's just trying to do that, almost the same thing as the PvP guy, you know, it. you have to be able to attack that. Some people are only interested in combat and they're just trying to do it constantly, no matter what. And again, it disrupts the ability for others at the table to RP if they're constantly just killing everyone before you get a chance to talk to them. Yeah, that's the worst thing is like meeting an interesting NPC and wanting to have a conversation, but then one of the players feels like that NPC has slighted them in some way, or maybe they have a fringe accent, and then all of a <laughs> sudden they're a punching bag. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is the, the exactly, I punch them. You know, and again, this player in particular that we had that did that wasn't that disruptive. There were <laughs> no, a few times bad. where they were like, okay, stop. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> and and he grew as a, a player into RP a lot. From 2015, when I first played with him, there was no RP in his game. None. Oh, so yeah. So where he ended up was a huge improvement. He's a great player, and we miss him. But Dearly. Yeah, so 
you've got to figure out again why are they doing this is this just all they know how to do do they not enjoy rp is it weird to have the spotlight on them are they bored with the story are they bored with their character that was another thing with this the player that we had he mm. was bored i punch everything because it's literally all i can do as a monk i don't feel like I, my character can do much so i homebrewed a subclass from specifically that gave him other things and it helped it changed the way he played a lot so again the communication goes back to it but then you can also get your other npcs kind of like with the pvp or get your other npcs in the world involved if he starts punching people all the time then make sure that there's high enough level people there that they can combat that and they will learn very quickly they can't beat up everyone in the world that's a really potent solution to this problem is having the guards just pretty much have a heavy-handed presence yeah you know high level guards shut down pvp and trying to kill npcs and make a ruckus in in populated cities and towns and villages guards shut that down quick yeah i've had players before when they come up with stuff like that and they they're level five and they run in and like punch somebody in the village and then guards come and they're like oh take the guards and they start trying to take the guards and they die within like two or three hits i'm like why did that happen Mm-hmm. Well, these are level 20 guards. That's not, they can't be level 20. Yeah, they can. <laughs> they t- and they are. Yeah. <laughs> How about yeah, that, that? That's why they're the guards. They're not somebody on the street you can just go around punching. So, yeah, make consequences in game again is a subtle way to start telling them that's not acceptable at our table or in this world. You know, as a character, it's not acceptable in this world. Yeah, murder hoboing is, it's contagious. And usually, usually if one person is going to do it, everybody's going to do it. Yeah. Usually we'll have full groups of this or nobody does it at all. But it's probably one of the more common problems uh, oh, yeah. out of this whole list. There are a ton of people that have to deal with murder hoboing. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes everybody's into it. And like that's what you do. But just in case there's one person sort of throwing off your flow and that's not what everyone else is looking for, then have a conversation with them. Try to figure out what the big disruptor is here and try to get everybody on the same page. It's really all you can do. Yeah. And again, you're right. It usually is either whole parties or or it doesn't happen, but occasionally <laughs> you have those one-offs where you have to deal with it. Another big one you have to deal with at almost every table is the rules lawyer. Not always a bad thing, especially no. for newer DMs. Uh, I, again, have done this for 20, 25 years, and I still love having Ed remind me when I screw up. <laughs> perfectly Man, he's fine. good for that yeah and but he's never rude and that's the best no, part never he's like uh you might want to look at this and there have been times where i said no we're going to change it and not go with what you say even if it's the rule and he's fine with that too so if, sure. if you can get a rules lawyer that's okay with the final word is still with the dm they're great they're perfect to have in your group mm-hmm. really yeah you need one i mean it's, they're nice to have and we're we're mostly all experienced players yeah, pretty much everyone. I mean, there's a couple of new ones now, or one new one, but oh yeah, you know, everyone is experienced enough that they know the basics. And but we all forget things occasionally. I do sure. all the time. There'll be stuff that you know is character stuff that he'll remind you guys of. Even he knows he knows the things your he character does. is supposed to do. So. He does. He's got a, a really good grip on pretty much all of our characters, just in case any of us ever forget anything. Yeah. Oh hey, yeah. don't forget you have you know X and Y. Yeah, or when he puts guidance or bane on something, hey, don't forget that that's there. And uh huh, we love you, Ed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really, really good stuff there. But again, they have to know that the DM has the final say. 
and then make the agreement that your ruling stands. So if you've got something in the middle and everybody's arguing over it, just the DM's ruling stands for now. If we need to discuss it after the game, let's do that. But let's not get everyone mad in the middle of a session or spend yeah. 20 or 30 minutes trying to figure out a, a rule that the DM should just make a ruling and then you can discuss it afterward if there's some contention over it still. But, you know, again, good parties that that are synergized well together won't have a whole lot of issues when a DM has to do something like that. No, but that's all you can do is just make a ruling and move on. First of all, that'll stop a, uh, a session dead. Yeah, or a campaign even if you have a big enough yeah, argument. Yeah. yeah, it really can. So it's not worth jeopardizing the momentum of your session or your campaign to, to have this big back and forth with somebody who may technically know the rule better. Just it's your job as a DM to make a call and keep everything flowing. Mm-hmm. Then you have the lone wolf, the person who was always wandering off, trying to split the party, wanting to do things without the other players, either secretly or just because they don't want to hang around. And why? Why are they doing this? That's this the is question. your rogue players. Oh, and there's some <laughs> there's some reasons for this to happen. Okay, it's perfectly fine for someone if there's a reason for it to do it occasionally. But sure. When they're constantly, you know, every time everybody else goes to sleep, they're wandering off to do something. And like, why wouldn't you want the rest of your party involved? Why Why are you trying to just RP on your own? Yeah. Like, just to, to carve out your own little section of the spotlight. Yeah. It, again, maybe the DM isn't giving you enough time to do that. So you feel like you need to, to grab it on your own. So as a DM, look, what they're trying to do. Do they not want to RP? Is this a way that they can avoid RPing with other people by doing it, you know, all themselves? Are they just trying to avoid the teamwork aspect? Do they not like the other players? Yeah, are they are they greedy? Are they trying to earn gold or keep gold from the party or, or magic items or, you know, anything like that? Because somebody who joins your group should want to play a character who wants to be part of the group. It's the biggest pet peeve of mine is when yeah. you start a session or start a campaign and you're pulling everyone together by a quest or whatever... And then you have those players who are like, why would my character be here, though? I don't want to be here. Well, then why are you playing this game? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Find out a reason why your character would stick with this group and make it happen. That's the whole point of the game. Is to- That's the, That should be default. Yeah. You're working as a group to have a fun time. Yes. So, yeah. Biggest pet peeve of mine is those, those players who can't figure out a reason why your character would stick around. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. That's a that's a rough one. Yeah, if you don't want to play a team game, then don't play this. Yes, this is. I mean, I guess it could be a everybody out for themselves PvP because I've seen it recently, but <laughs> not advisable. You know, and you're probably not having an issue with it if that's the game you're playing. But yeah, probably not. You know, make it dangerous though. Being alone in a dungeon is dangerous. Being alone in a city at night can be very dangerous. Fights will likely and should be deadly when this happens. Combat in D&D is centered around having four players in the combat. If it's one, and that combat would have been moderate, it's pretty much going to be deadly now when you're four on one or five on one or however many monsters were coming at you. So don't change it to be soft for your characters. We had this issue with the young children that I'm running a campaign for. Their first time through, they found a cave and they split. Two went this way, two went that way. The one just found a big hole that they had to figure out how to get through. The other found the combat. Mm-hmm. And one of them got downed very quickly. 
The other one was able to get him up, and they ran away. But it would have been a deadly combat if they stuck there and, and did it. For people, it wouldn't have been that bad. And it was a teaching experience for them. And it should be a teaching experience at your table as well for someone who is thinking they could always be on their on their own. Yeah, it's uh, right along the same lines as introducing some guards to an unruly player. Like, you know what? Like, when you do inevitably walk up on some creatures, they're going to run game on you. Yeah. So maybe bring your party next time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a, a hard lesson learned for, for the kids, and they never have split the party since. There was some talk of it, and then one spoke <laughs> up, and they said, you remember what happened last time? Uh, no, we are sticking Good together. on that player. They're going to make a good player. <laughs> he wants to be a DM, too. So, you know, he's kind of learning this to, to further his D&D career to be a DM. And, and so I think he's got the logical brain. <laughs> he's gonna do He's going to do well at it. We will watch your career with great interest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the last one on our list is the distracted player. This happens in person, but it happens even more, I think, online because there's so much technology in front of you that you're either on your phone, or you're surfing the web, or you're just distracted or distracting everyone else with your antics. And it's okay in person to goof off and have fun, go on sidetracks if everybody's joining in and you're not annoying the DM too much. It's okay. Yeah. But when you're the only person that has gone so far to in combat even on your phone and you're you're not even prepared when it's your turn, when it comes back around to you. That's a big one. Yeah, or you're not getting involved in the RP because you're off doing your own thing, and, you know, again, either surfing the web or, or whatever you're doing, you're just distracted and not joining in the game why, why are you there if you don't want to be involved yeah that's exactly right this sort of player is lumped in with the the inactive active player the person who's just there they don't talk up during rp they don't have any agency as a character they don't do anything special they're just sort of sitting there and when combat comes around they do something or you know maybe they they weren't prepared or what have you it's there's a dichotomy there yeah. but it, it it happens a lot it does, and you see it a lot of times with wives that just tagged along to play, or for that matter, even husbands who tagged along to play that weren't really into playing. Anybody that got drugged to the game and is yeah. wound up with a character sheet in front of them, you're going to have to wrangle their attention. Yeah, they just weren't prepared for it, and maybe they catch fire and love the game and it lives in their heart forever, but odds are they're going to be that distracted player that you're going to have to keep their interest. And you can do that with a lot of ways. For one, if it's at the beginning, the session zero, we talked about a lot, set that expectation. There are no phones at the table or there are phones when we take a break or whatever your group wants to set that expectation, but keep the electronics away as much as you can. That's my suggestion. Yeah. And that's a perfectly good suggestion. Like that's a, no cell phones during game time is, I would say probably a pretty common rule. If it's, yeah. some, if it's a problem and you've had to say it, then it's probably already well established. Hopefully you don't have to, because like like we don't, not in our online games or in our in-person in game, has that ever had to come up. Yeah. And I'm sort of bad about it. But if it's during combat or something, I'm definitely not on my phone during combat. Like yeah. when it comes around and it's got to be, it's my turn to do something. But if, if somebody else is talking to a shopkeeper and I'm not interested in buying anything, I might look at my phone. Sure. But it's bad practice. Yeah, it, listen, it's okay to take a glance. And I know uh, as adults, you might have children that are at babysitters or whatever, and you need to make sure that everything's fine there. There are instances, again, set your rules at your table. If you're a group of parents and everybody has to check on their kids every 30 minutes, then make sure you take breaks every 30 minutes and you can yeah. do that. 
you know, set the rules what, what needs to work for you, but you've got to figure out a way to keep the interest of those one-offs that they're just they're really distracted. And, you know, if it wasn't handled in the session zero, again, it's, as we've talked through this entire thing, it's best to talk to them. Are they not having enough time to shine? So they're bored. They're tuning out. Are they addicted to social media? And then they might have a bigger problem. Uh, but there are there are many reasons why this player might be distracted. But, you know, as a DM, and you've got that player who just got drugged to the game, that's okay. Give them extra time to shine. They don't know what their character is. Help them out. You know, hey, your character is a paladin. You know, they would do this in this situation, or they would think this way, or just call them out. Everybody else is having a discussion and talking and just, hey, what would your character be doing right now? Yeah. What, yeah. What are your character's thoughts on this? Or have an NPC call them out in a like an engagement of, of sorts. Yeah. Why are you sitting in the corner by yourself? Exactly. Anything like that is it's a good, nice, healthy way to bring people in into the action, into what's happening. And that's always good. If you haven't got to the point where you need to have a conversation with them, just try to engage them in character, in game. And I think that's a good way. Yeah, that's the, I mean, there are other unruly things that happen in our games. Lord knows there's a ton (laughs) of things that happen. But that's the basic ones you run into. And the other ones we haven't talked about, you can kind of take from what we have talked about and, and apply it to those same situations. Biggest takeaway here is just always have a session zero because it sets expectations and you will avoid all of this. And then communication. We are not, as humans, always good at communicating the way we feel or what we'd like to have happen. I know there are unfortunate things that have happened in all of our lives and we don't freely talk about them. But if you are afraid that it might trigger you in a game, you have to talk about it. You have to let the DM know so they can avoid that situation and make it a safe space for everyone at the table. Because most DMs aren't out there trying to trigger you on purpose. We're just playing our game, and it's unfortunately, it, it brings out real-life feelings. So you know, speak up. You have to. Yeah, and, and DMs should be asking these questions. You know, is there anything that should be off the table? Is there anything that anything anybody might be potentially upset by and if you need to tell me in private that's absolutely fine yeah a dm should always be open to listening in private and you don't tell the table if something needs to change then it just changes so you definitely want to have those conversations and know your group and that will solve a lot of these problems yeah you you said it better than i could so again make sure you're setting your session zeros up make sure you're talking as a group and having good communication and that'll solve all these issues you won't have unruly players yeah if you follow those steps you should be fine So next week, we are going to dive back into another class. We've done a couple now, and I've enjoyed them so much. This one, though, is going to be really fun. We're going to dive into the Barbarian with a guy who plays a Barbarian. So this will be great. Yeah, this should be good. He's a little new to it, but I'm super excited to get his his take on all this because he's in love with that character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I love the character, too. He's played it great. So we will talk about all of that next time on the Crypt of Knowledge. Good night, everyone.